Well, Revelation chapter four and chapter five sort of, uh, well, they they go together. It's this heavenly picture. Uh, We saw last week in chapter four, verse one, uh, after this, metatauta, after the church age, the church is mentioned uh, 19, 18 times and in, in up to chapter 3, one more time in chapter 22, 19 times in the book of Revelation, but between chapter 4 and chapter 21, not mentioned once. The church isn't mentioned. Because this is, I believe, is talking about a, a picture of heaven after the rapture of the church. The tribulation period, and then at the end of the tribulation period. And here we see this heavenly picture continue in chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him, God the Father, who sat on the throne, Jesus at the right hand of the Father, and a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with the seven seals. Now, what was this scroll? We can't say dogmatically for absolute certain. But looking at it, and looking at the the, the various options, I'm convinced this is a title deed. Because scrolls aren't typically written on both sides. Well, what kind of scroll was written on both sides? Only one that would be the title deed of a piece of property. And so what you would have is if you bought a property, let's say, then the the scroll is sealed. Now we say sealed, they would put a string around it, but then they would put wax on it, and then usually with their ring of a seal, they would seal it, and then the wax would then uh, bind the, the string onto the fabric. And so then it's held tight. It's not broken. And if it's broken, then you know that somebody opened it and, and then the seal is no longer um, valid. So h- how do I know? Because on the outside of it, it would basically say what the price is. What's the price in order to open the scroll to, to, to own the title deed? And so let's say uh, it's $100,000 for that property on the outside of the scroll it would say uh, you owe whatever, $60,000, $40,000 put down, or wh- whatever it is. Now, you say, well, that, that's, why is it bound and all that? Okay, I understand. In, in America, the way we do, it wouldn't make sense. But understand, back in the time of Israel, when they came into the land, each tribe was given their portion of the land. So all of Israel was divvied up. And when a tribe got that section and then they would divvy it up down into families, let's say you went on hard times and and you had to sell your property, it was never a permanent sell. God didn't allow it. When you sold your property, the longest it could be owned by somebody else was until the year of Jubilee every 50 years. So let's say the year of Jubilee just happened, then you bought it right now, well, you can have it for 50 years. You buy it 49 years or seven years left, whatever it would be. And so this would be the information on the outside of the scroll. The details of how much you paid for it, whose possession it is, whose possession it goes back to uh, at the end of the Jubilee period because again, sometimes you would have battles and you'd have things that would go uh, on and and so it would be much more information. Now, why, why do I think this is talking about the title deed? Because again, written on two sides. The other thing is this. It seems to me, as we look at indicators beginning back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were given earth, it was theirs. The earth is yours. All the trees are yours to eat. You are 
the head of all creation. Everything's going to be subservient to you. All animals are going to be subservient to you. And that's definitely not the case now. <laughs> you know, you, you lock eyes face to face out in the wild with a lion or with an elephant or whatever. Uh, you know, it's not feeling like, okay, you're my master and I, I need to submit to you. That's not the feeling you get, isn't it? It's like you better run and climb a tree and that might not even help. Um, and this is the, the indicators we, we get is that when Adam and Eve sinned, that the devil got the title deed to earth. For example, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse 5 through 7, it says this. Then the devil taking him, Jesus, this is when Jesus being tempted, up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I give you and their glory, for this has been what? Delivered to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Now, he's showing him all the earth and all the possessions of the earth. And Satan says, they're mine. They've been given to me. And, and Jesus is not arguing with him. He's like, no, you don't have it. It's not yours, it's mine. It's, not, it's my father's, it's not yours. You know, there's no argument. But Jesus simply says in verse 7 there, Luke 4, therefore, if, or Satan's going to say, therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. So he absolutely pronounces that he's a possessor of all the earth and that if Jesus will worship him, then he will give him earth. In John, 7, or John uh, chapter 12, verse 31, also in John 14, 30 and John 16, 11, it says this, now this is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Satan is called here in John several times, the ruler of this world. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, whose minds the, what? God of this age, another title of Satan, has blinded those who do not believe us, the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So he's called the ruler of this age, the God of this age. He's saying, he just says point blank face to Jesus. I'm, all these things have been delivered to me. And so I believe this is what is being held in the hands of the Father is the title deed to earth which has been lost for a time to Satan. As we go back to Revelation chapter 5 here, and in verse 2, then I saw a strong angel. I don't know which one that is, Gabriel or Michael, uh, one of the you know, greater angels. He proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seal? And no one, notice here, in heaven or on earth or under the earth. Now, don't, don't get messed up with that term under the earth, okay? This, this is simply the way they thought at this time, okay? And, and uh, you know, you have this term in the epistles, um, the, the three levels of heaven. Uh, you know, it's not talking about three different levels of heaven. You simply have um, the, the, the sky immediately um, where the birds fly, and then you have, uh, uh, you know, the earth, if you would, and then the sky uh, of the stars, and you have the sky of, of the outer space. This is, this is the way they, they looked at it. And so it was the earth, under the earth, above the earth. That's just the way they described it. Uh, it's like we would describe uh, the sun rising and the sun setting. The, the sun doesn't rise and then the sun doesn't set. We know that, right? That's just the way it appears to us. That's the way we describe it. Uh, we know it's not accurate. And so here he's simply saying there is no location anywhere is what he's saying that uh, anyone was able. There's no one anywhere 
that was able to open the scroll or to even look at it. And notice here, so I wept much. John sensing the sorrow of we're stuck. We're stuck in this place of sin, of Satan ruling, of man and sinful flesh. You know, Jesus, when he was getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead, when Mary and Martha were just so injured over death, Jesus wept. Even though he knew he was getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. He, because he wept because of, the, of the, the pain that death was bringing and would continue to bring for thousands of years yet. John is, is sensing here that that the earth is stuck in this place and there's nobody in heaven or earth or anywhere that's going to change man being born into sinful flesh, Satan ruling this world, pain and sorrow and sin and corruption and rape and lying and cheating and murder and we're just stuck in this hopeless, helpless place. He sensed that, but notice he was weeping this much because there was no one, it says it again a second time, that was found worthy. (laughs) Somebody had to become worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But as he was observing this and he was weeping much over this, feeling like, oh, there's no hope, nothing's ever going to change, And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now in Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob is prophesying over his sons, he prophesies over Judah, saying that he is going to be the lion. It's a a, a, a term prophetically of the Messiah. And then in Isaiah 11, again, a prophetic word of, the, of a messianic title of the Messiah, the root of David. And he says, he has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose the seven seals. So we're no longer stuck. There's one who's going to be counted worthy. We looked in heaven, no one there. We looked on earth. We looked everywhere there is to look. And there was nobody. And now the Messiah is worthy to open the scroll. And so he's been told, John, quit weeping. And John's weeping, he's crying, he can't see. And he's like, look, look, oh, I can't see. I'm still crying so much, I can't see. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's the root of Jesse. Oh man, I can't wait to see it. He's getting ready to look. And behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, I think he's getting ready to see a lion. And what does he see? In the midst of the elders, he's looking there at the throne, the living creatures around. He's trying to get through. And then there's a whole bunch of elders there. He's trying to get to the middle to see what it is. And there stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. It wasn't a lion, It was a lamb. And the Greek word here is not just even for a lamb, but for a little lamb. A little, tiny, innocent lamb. This little, tender lamb. (laughs) You know, the, the thing interesting about sheep, again, this is just one of those things when you start thinking about evolution, it's just, you know. Sheep, can never be wild. Sheep have to be cared for by man. They can't make it. Sheep will fall over and they become cast. They gotta be picked back up and you gotta rub their bellies and get the gases out. Sheep have no way to protect themselves. You know, you you don't ever have a football team called the Lambs. And today we have the Lambs against the Jaguars. Ah, you know. Even at their biggest and baddest way, they're just, they're, they have no ability to defend themselves, to attack. No teeth, no claws, 
No big jumps. <laughs> but there was the one who's counted worthy. He's a king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's one from the royalty of David, the greatest throne of Israel that has ever reigned or ever will reign, of the greatest royalty of Judah, of the king of David, this great king of kings, the greatest king that ever will rule and will rule forever and ever. And we're looking through all the the great and strong angels speaking and singing and talking and we're looking through all the elders who are worshiping and and awe and, and look, this great king of kings, he saw him and not only was he a little lamb, but he looked like he was presently, currently, had just been a sacrifice. Now, you know, picture if you would, a sheep being sacrificed. They cut their throat, hang them upside down, they bleed them. And then they, you know, cut the skin off and cut the guts out and began to cut them in pieces and so forth. I mean, you know, you guys see the plastic stuff in the supermarkets, right? <laughs> Cows and the chickens, you know. I don't, I don't know if I could ever do that, you know. I, uh, I knew over here in National City years ago, they used to have a place, believe it or not, where they brought cows in and they would kill them and cut them in pieces and had a guy own a grocery store and he's like, Brian, I want to talk to you about tongues today. And I'm like, what? He picked me up and he took me over there and he took me through, you know, where they had the 22 bullet, you know, shoot him in the head and they fell over and then the next guy grabbed him and hung him by, by the feet and we went through the whole thing and the smells, oh my gosh, it was just horrendous and, going through and watching the whole, the whole process until it was completely done. Man, quite a, quite a fiasco. I'd just rather go and see it in the supermarket, you know, already ready. It's like, yeah, that looks appetizing. But believe me, when you see all the guts on the floor and all the smells, oh, you just, oh I'll never eat meat again. But anyway, that's just a little side note there. No extra charge. And... Uh, you know, what, what, did he, what did he see? Now, I, I'd like to say, again, in, in heaven, from the book of Hebrews, we, we learn this, that when Jesus came into human flesh, it wasn't just for a few years on earth, but he is in human flesh for eternity. He was in earthly flesh like you and I, 100% man, but yet in spirit, 100% God. If we could have opened up Jesus' flesh, we would have been vaporized. We would have been looking upon the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the, the infinite God, but yet in flesh, he was 100% man. And when Christ died, the Bible says, when he rose again, that we shall raise again exactly like him. That he was the first raised from the dead. John says that when we raise from the dead in 1 John 1, or chapter 3, verse 1, it says we will be just like him. He was a human and earthly flesh and then he died and rose again and now he's in earthly, heavenly flesh like we will be terrestrial flesh, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, and then celestial flesh. What that's going to be like, we don't know. But, but yet for eternity, he's going to have his scars. Now here's the interesting thing about these scars. It's going to look like they're fresh. It's going to look like they just happened. It's not going to look like, oh man, that sort of healing up there. Uh, used to, I guess you really had a bad cut there at one time. But, you know, it's looking much better. You can hardly see the scar anymore. That, that's not going to be the case. And again, it's not going to gross us out. It's not going to humiliate us. It's not to shame us. It's going to be for us 
a reminder of God's amazing love for us. He is worthy. And we are going to sense how awesome it is that God, who's perfect and pure and holy, came into human flesh and for all of eternity will remember that in human flesh that he came to give his body to be a ransom for all. And there we, we see this little meek lamb, freshly as if he had just been slain. Seven horns, seven again, the number of perfection, completion. Seven notes in a scale. The eighth note starts that same scale over again into infinity, both directions. Seven days in a week. The eighth day starts the first day over again. All of creation's like this. So seven is, is perfection. In this case, the horn representing power, like two rams. So you have perfection and power. And then the seven eyes, the perfection in seeing all, knowing all, understanding all. Our God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. This little lamb is the lion of the tribe of Judah. This little lamb, as though he had just been slain, is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And this is throughout the earth. The knowledge of him right now is throughout the earth. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him, the Father, who sat on the throne. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb each having a harp or a stringed instrument, a guitar, guys. They didn't have that name back in those days, but I'm sure it was electric with pedals and all those kind of things. Cool stuff. You know, whatever. And uh, the golden bowls full of incense, which are, in, which are the prayers of the saints. The incense being soothing, pleasurable, enjoyable that's one thing when you do go to Arab countries is um, you know you, you do have a lot of those smells people you know smoking hookah various uh, fruit plants to you know incense burning uh, in many places and uh, again here to, to, to remember that our prayers before God are pleasurable to him. You know, it's just amazing how this old world has just done a number on us, hasn't it? That we just look in the mirror and say, how stupid you look. (laughs) How annoying you sound. How irritating you are. Not very many people like you because they're smart. And, you know, we, we just don't have that incredible confidence that we are God's gift to mankind. But we are. And unto God, we are so incredibly precious to him. He's got our baby pictures there, and he's showing them to all the angels. Look at this one here. Hey, look at this one. Hey, take a look here. God loves us. He loves not only to hear our voice, he loves to hear the meditations of our heart, every one of them, even the ones he says no to. You know, your kids come up when they're 12 years old, can I go driving? Take me driving. You know, it's like, well, you're 12 years old. I don't think you'll even touch the pedals right now. But you're not going, oh, that's horrible. I can't believe you said that. I don't want to hear it again. They're just expressing the Filling in their heart, huh? I'm 12, but I don't want to have to wait till I'm 16. I'm 12, but I'm big enough. I'm smart enough. I'm strong enough. I want to sense the power and go drive, you know? I mean, it doesn't bug you. And they may say it 10 times a year, every year. It's just normal, isn't it? And it's funny to you. You enjoy it. It's not some ridiculous, horrible thing, even though you're going to say no. 
I hope. Um, and so, in Psalm 141, verse 2, it says, Let my prayer be set before you as an incense. The lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. Just to remember, guys, when we're singing, we're praying, we're meditating. The Bible says it's God's desire that men in particular, but everybody would lift their holy hands without wrath or doubting. Just again as a worship unto God, how precious it is unto him. And then in verse nine, they sang a new Song. Guys, one day this is going to be reality. <laughs> when Jesus, in the right timing, is going to take back the title deed of earth as he comes at the end of the tribulation period to rule and to reign, finishing the battle of Armageddon. And on that day, there will be a new song. And again, we all need to know these songs, right? And here it is. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals. Number one, you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Number one, Jesus has redeemed us by his blood. He was slain. He redeemed us by his blood. How we need to just stop and just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for being punished with all my sins. That I don't have to go to hell for eternity. That I don't have to be separated from you even for a fraction of a second. Thank you for your blood that every single day we can come and confess our sins and he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. Why? Because he is the propitiation. That is that blood sacrifice. Presently, his blood is cleansing us of current sin and future sin. And then, um, remember the last chapter, in chapter four, verse 11, it says you were worthy because you created all things. And now the worship is going from thanking him for all of creation. And boy, I thank God for all of creation. I I hope you do. It's so beautiful, isn't it? It's so amazing. Just everything. (laughs) The waters and all that swim in the waters. The skies and all that fly in the skies. All the creeping critters running around out there. It's It's just an amazing thing what God has done in all of creation and of course the magnificent way he's created every part of our bodies, relationships. Ah, I thank God. But greater than creation is that God has created for us eternal life. God has created for us salvation by being slain and by his blood. And he has taken us out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. One of the greatest desires of man is to belong. Teenage kids, when they begin to have that desire to have a place to belong, will join hideous gangs and do monstrous things. Crazy things to other people and crazy things to their own bodies. Injuring themselves, injuring others doing ridiculous things to belong. Crazy hairdos and... <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, I, over in, in, in the UK, I've been there and you walk down the street and it's like, whoa. Sometimes, I mean, it's, you wonder if it's even human. I mean, they, they've done things there where they got, you know horns underneath their skin poking out and literally a thousand piercings on their face alone. You know, only metal left. And, and uh, it reminds me, you know, where the, it says in Mark 
16, it says, go into the world and preach to all creatures. And uh, you realize why it said that. Why didn't it say go into all the world and preach to every man? Uh, because sometimes you go to these places and you're not sure if it's a man yet. Um, it's just sort of a creature until he gets born again. And, um, but nevertheless, it's, God has taken us out of a very lonely place. And the great need we all have to belong and to be a part of a family. And he has made us a part of his family forever and ever and ever. And here we are of many different cultures here tonight. That's the one thing I love about our church. And when other pastors come, they always make a a note of that. It's like, I I don't know if there is a, a tribe of tongues of people that aren't represented here in our church. Um, and then, of course, you all get married, and then it really gets crazy, you know? It's like, what are you? Well, I'm part Vietnamese, and part Korean, and part German, and part Italian, and, you know, it gets a... We're not sure what we are anymore, but it doesn't matter, because whatever we were anyway, the Lord's taken us into His family for all of eternity. And then He has not only taken us to His family, but notice in verse 10, He has made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Boy, the earth is a marvelous place, isn't it, guys? And of course, we're looking at an earth that was destroyed by the flood. A much lesser earth than before the flood, before rain came. And one day, the Lord's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And as we go on in Revelation, we're going to see that at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, we're going to come back and rule on this earth for a thousand years in our brand new bodies. Remember Jesus? He was appearing before them in the locked room, and then he just showed up. We're going to be in that kind of body. It's like, oh, man, I want to be in China. Whoop, I'm here. (laughs) I don't think we're going to have to teleport or jump on an airplane. And, and you know, here we are now going, man, I've got to sacrifice so much for God. It's so hard to sacrifice to pray every day and to read the Bible every day and go to church even Sunday nights. Oh, it's so hard. Oh. You know, whatever we give up, guys, let's say we truly lose everything. We live on the earth for 100 years right now. And we do. We sacrifice ourselves to serve our fellow man, to serve the body of Christ, to serve God. We eat crumbs. We never do any hobbies. We just give ourselves 100% of the time to witnessing and seeking God and teaching Sunday school and helping orphans. And let's say we did that for 100 years and we never spent a penny, a moment for ourselves. Think about it. We're coming back here to this earth with Jesus at the end of the tribulation period for a thousand years in a body that doesn't have pain, sorrow, doesn't, probably doesn't have to have a, you know, a air on the back of our tanks to go swimming down as deep as you want in the ocean. And so you come back and you go, man, I think I'll go scuba diving for a hundred years without the scuba gear. And I got 900 years left. Ah, I'm done with that. I've seen everything in the ocean. There's a sea. I think I'll take up hiking. And you hike every mountain there is on the earth for 100 years, and you got 800 years left. Do you get it, guys? When the Lord says there in 1 Corinthians, the end of chapter 3, all is yours. Everything on the earth is yours. God is yours. Christ is yours. You're possessor of all things. We, we really are. I think I'll just go lay on a beach and take up surfing for 100 years. 700 years left. You realize, guys, we're, we're, not, we're not losing out here. If you surrender your life to Christ, whatever we sacrifice... Just as the Lord says, give and it shall be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Jesus says, store up your treasure in heaven. You're going to want it. You're going to want it. I don't know how it spells out, but when we're here, reigning on the earth for a thousand years, 
I think it's going to matter how much treasure we have sent ahead. You can't take it with you. Naked we came in this world. Naked we can't. Naked we go out. But we can send it ahead by storing up our treasure in heaven. And so again, you know, we we give and we sacrifice and we tithe and we give offerings. We go to the orphanage and and sometimes you feel like, man, but life's still hard. I'm still broke. You know, didn't think, didn't look like I'm, you know being this great successful person. Guys, you're storing up treasure for eternity, not for right now. It doesn't matter if you get it in the next decade. (laughs) What matters is if you get that reward in the next millennium, right? That's That's what's important. We need to be spiritually minded. And so then he goes on to say here in verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. I think that's just going to be cool, guys. There are going to be so many different angels. You know, how, how many of you guys like Star Trek? How many of you guys, I mean, how many of you guys know those kind of things? Ah, you guys. You Wednesday night crowd, just don't lift your hand. Or you're afraid to say, I, I don't know. I, I surprise you. You weren't prepared to lift your hand. It was like, oh, I, was, I didn't do it. No. Anyway, there's some pretty freaky creatures on there, huh? It's always amazing how they never make anything more beautiful than man. Just freaky. But, uh, you know, we saw last week the, the seraphim, not even talking about the seraphim, those are pretty weird looking creatures, huh? There's all kinds of different angels. And uh, we're going to get to see some unique, unique creatures. And these creatures are all around the throne. And then the living creatures, talking about the seraphim that we described last week. And the elders and the numbers of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands. Um, just an incalculable number. Saying, or saying with a loud voice. So they're just, oh, with all their heart, with all their passion. They're not, oh, I'm going to sing, blah, 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 you know. They're just passionately, with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. And I don't think we've heard the end of this song, guys. (laughs) I I think the Bible has just sort of given us a little preview here, just like in chapter four. I don't think we got all the words to the song here, but we get the idea, don't we? I mean, I can think of several more words to add to this. Our, Our Lord is precious, isn't he? Magnificent. Wonderful, almighty, merciful, loving. I mean, ah, there's so many words. And then every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them. So now we, we see that <clears throat> one day there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and an all the universe there's going to be creatures everywhere praising the Lord you know the Bible tells us that the creatures of the world don't have a free will like us that they are praising the Lord the Bible says the hills are singing the trees are lifting their hands when the wind moves them they're clapping their hands they, they had a special a while back and somebody accidentally at Cornell University for years they've been taping the sounds of elephants and they accidentally, uh, one of the guys was messing around with it and tuned, turned it way high and discovered that there's these sounds that elephants makes that are so low that the human ear cannot hear it and we barely have the ability to have instruments to hear it. But they're making these low, low sounds and they penetrate through the forest for miles. Because they, they, for a long time, are trying to figure out, like in this case, an, a little baby elephant died. Maybe some of you guys saw this. And all of the elephants from all around came to the funeral service. And they all lined up. And they were weeping. And they all you know, move the little baby around and tossed it and picked it up and then the next one would come and, and they're just like, how, how could they know? 
And they, they discovered, you know what? I believe all the creatures of the sea right now are praising God with sounds we probably can't even hear. All the birds, when they're singing, are praising the Lord. We just don't know their bird language. But one day, we're going to hear it. We're going to hear it. The dolphin, we're going to hear what he's saying. Praising and worshiping to God. All the creatures in the sea, in the sky. Creatures maybe that I can't see right now. We know that's true, like angels and so forth. But there's probably creatures that one day we'll, we'll see that we just can't see right now for whatever reason that are amongst us. I mean, we know about amoebas, right? Things that we have a little microscope uh, that we can see. And it's magnificent. And all of these things are submitted unto God and worshiping God. And Philippians chapter 2, in verse 5, it says this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, verse 8, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in the heavens, those on earth, those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in Romans 14, verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. And so all of these creatures are coming and then they, he heard them all saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. How long? <laughs> Forever and ever. Every great nation will end. Some great nations are dust <laughs> Now, they're ancient. Thousands of years ago, they were a great empire. And those kings during hundreds of years thought they would never be conquered. They would always be known. Their empires would always be dominant. And now we dig and dig and dust some things away and find a few stones that even recognize they even existed. Nebuchadnezzar, of the great empire of Babylon was warned by God about pride, but he stood and said, look at me and my great empire, and boom. While the words were in his mouth, he became like an animal for seven years. Wandered around eating the grass like a cow, and his hair grew out like the feathers of a bird, and his fingernails like the claws of a bird, and, and, and he couldn't say anything. At the end of that time, he lifted his eyes and he said, God, your kingdom is forever and ever. As for man, he is nothing before you. And when he humbled himself and recognized God's kingdom was eternal and only God's kingdom was eternal, then his sanity came back to him. And then God made him greater than he was even before that. Let me just say this, guys. When I hear people say stupid things like, well, I'm an agnostic. I believe all roads lead to heaven. Well, I think whatever you believe about God, even if he's a doorknob, as long as you believe it sincerely, that's all that God cares about. These things are just majorly offensive <laughs> To God, I know my spirit, and I believe God's spirit who lives in me, just grieves. But imagine Jesus in the garden saying, Father, if there's any other way for this cup to pass, and the stress began to get so great that his blood vessels began to break and blood began to come pouring out of his sweat glands. 
And he prayed and he prayed and Father, Father, and finally there was just a rhetorical answer of no. There was no, no answer at all. And Jesus, when you look at the incredible torture, the beatings, the beard ripped out, the humiliation, the crucifixion of a cross. And then Jesus, after he raises from the dead, the Father says, all right, you know, I'm glad that there's another way to make it to heaven. There's already many, many hundreds of ways to go to heaven, but now there's one more. You can believe in Buddha and, you know, you can be a Hare Krishna. You could be a whatever you want. Or you can believe in Jesus. Do you realize how ridiculous that is? And again, if God the Father allowed his son to be crucified and to be put to death, when there was another way for man to be saved, that makes the Father a monster. He's an evil person. You you, you see, if there's a drunk in the street and I jump out and push the drunk out of the way and I'm killed, I'm a hero. If I reach over and I grab a seven-year-old kid and grab him and throw him into the drunk and the drunk gets knocked out of the way and the kid gets killed, they don't say, good throw, Brian. Woohoo! way to go. You're a hero. You saved the drunk. Wow, too bad for that little kid. You, you see, if God created a man to die for our sins, that, that would be an evil thing. Just like me pushing a kid and doesn't make me a hero. If God created an angel, again, that would be evil. But if God himself came and paid for our sins, that makes him a savior. It makes him righteous. That makes him our hero. And if there is another way, it makes what Jesus did foolish. It makes what the Father did evil. The fact is, is everybody in heaven is going to know that Jesus was the only way. He alone, nobody else was worthy. There's only one who is worthy. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb that has been slain. He alone is worthy. To him we sing, you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy to receive honor and power and glory and praise because you not only now but for eternity have saved us. There's not going to be somebody up there in heaven who said, that's cool, all you guys really respect Jesus and think he's a wonderful savior. That's awesome. And you guys all were saved through him. That's wonderful. I was saved through my good works. But uh, yeah, let's sing. I'll sing along with you guys. Uh, Jesus, you know, you saved these people over here and it was wonderful. I did it through my good works. And there's some other people over here singing, oh, Jesus, that's what you did is wonderful, but I was a Buddhist. Uh, it just doesn't work, does it? Everybody in heaven is united. <laughs> all the angels, all the redeemed, they are over the top. They are just beyond themselves. They're singing loudly with all passion, with all strength. They are eternally thankful now that they are there and they realize <clears throat> how horrible it was being in human flesh, how wonderful it is being redeemed into brand new bodies, the new heavens, the new earth, to be with the Lord and purity and holiness and righteousness. Oh, Lord. You know, right now we, we sing in a way that reveals that we know in part, we understand in part. Right? <clears throat> we're thankful that we're forgiven, but we don't understand how wicked our sins are to the degree they are wicked, right? I I know as a Christian, we grow in that. I know with myself, the longer I've been a Christian, the more I I realize, I I used to think I was wicked. I I was, I'm wicked. I just, the revelation gets greater and my thankfulness gets greater, right? 
And what's it going to be like when we're in heaven? And then we see in the last verse, the four living creatures said, Amen. The 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives. How long? Forever and ever. Jesus, his throne. His kingdom. His rule. His authority. His blood that he shed. The lamb who is slain is forever and ever ever. Man, I, I, I'm just so thankful I'm a Christian. I, I don't know how people make it without Jesus. I, I don't know how people make it without being forgiven. I, I, I do know that there are times I can remember the weight of my sin and going to bed at night knowing I'm not right with God and terror just going, God, please don't come back and please don't let me die. And man, I am in trouble. (laughs) I can remember that weight. And I can remember sinning and just, just feeling horrible about it and just not knowing that God was a God of mercy ready to forgive me. And then thinking, you know, because I sinned so many times this week, even if God forgive me, I'd still go to hell. It's, you know, it's not enough to make me pure enough to go to heaven. And then to know the gospel, that where our sin abounds, his grace abounds more. Peter said, how many times will we forgive our brother? Seven times? Jesus said, 70 times seven. Man's supposed to be forgiving 490 times a day. What's God gonna forgive? Far more than that. And so again, I'm just so thankful and I hope that as we get this little picture into heaven, and I know reading this here this week in chapter four, and just uh, these really are a couple of my favorite chapters in the Bible and, you know, I was telling Bill tonight before the service, it's like, you know, I I love these chapters, but I, I don't necessarily like teaching on them because as I study them, I just want to be there. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It's like saying, hey, we're gonna have this worship song that John sang tonight. We're gonna dissect this song and talk about it. It's like, let's just sing it. <laughs> let's just worship with it for an hour. We don't have to teach it at all. And, and this is what I, it's like, you know, this is, I'm sitting here talking about, I think a very near picture of what's gonna be happening with us very, very soon. And it's like, oh, let's, let's just not teach about it. Let's just go there and experience it. Amen?